In today's episode, four state association leaders share their thoughts on how their associations, member companies, and states are working together to ensure renewable liquid fuels stay top of mind with policymakers and show how higher blend home heating oil can help improve the consumer experience while helping the environment. First, we'll talk with Chris Herb, president of the Connecticut Energy Marketers Association, about the efforts Connecticut is playing in the transition to low-carbon liquid home heating oil. In the Loop is brought to you by NORA. NORA was authorized by Congress in 2000 to provide funding that enables the liquid fuel heating industry to provide more efficient, more reliable, and lower-carbon home heating and hot water to the American consumer. This podcast takes a deeper look at research initiatives, equipment considerations, renewable fuels, carbon reduction, and technical education propelling us towards a low-carbon future. For more information, visit noraweb.org. In the In the Loop podcast booth, we have Chris Herb, who is the president of the Connecticut Energy Marketers Association, SEMA. Yes. Great to have you here, as always, and I know you've had a lot on your dance card already today. Tell us a little bit about what you guys are up to, and then we'll jump into some topics. In Connecticut, we're involved in a whole bunch of uh, projects that without Nora would be impossible. And all these projects are about promoting the contributions that we're making to lowering carbon emissions and also about the future. And I think I'm most excited uh, in the 22 years that I've been with the association. You know, we we tend to play a lot of defense, fend off all these people who are on this hack of our industry. Mm -hmm. But right now, we have not only a good story, but we have tangible evidence about our role in the future of the energy in Connecticut and the region. So that's that's what's most exciting about me is now we are, we're able to talk about what's happening in the next decade instead of just trying to fend off someone, uh, you know, entities that don't necessarily agree with us today. Right, and, and this is technology today. It's not a pie-in-the-sky future or something that is coming or is theoretical. You actually have members who are doing low-carbon liquid heating fuel in your state presently, right? Yeah, this is this is real. Uh, right now, 600 family-owned companies, to one degree or another, are selling um, various blends of biodiesel, which we're obviously have branded BioHeat. A lot of our members are at 20% right now, but our law requires a minimum of five. So whether or not retailers know it or not, uh, they're at minimally 5%. We have 20, and some are pushing 50% blends. And uh, in Right now, the results are phenomenal. The results are that the physical aspects of maintaining a heating system uh, have been dramatically improved. You know, the, the sooting in the combustion chamber is virtually non-existent. Filters are coming out clean year after year after year because of this fuel. So, you know, just from the the physical aspects of blending biodiesel with heating oil, and by the way, Connecticut, just for anyone who's listening to this to know, Connecticut has the largest biodiesel production facility on the East Coast in New Haven. Really? Yeah, so we are we have indigenous production of biodiesel, so it's it's used cooking oil, oil that is created in Connecticut, then converted to biodiesel in Connecticut, and then used as heating fuel in Connecticut. So it's a real great life cycle story that, you know, we're, we're sort of in a contained yeah, system, right, in our little state. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a feel-good story for so many reasons. It's feel-good because it's warm, but certainly, I mean, from the transition, 
addition to low carbon fuels helps folks feel better about the products they're using um, as we envision a, a cleaner future. But obviously, there's still some transition to occur. And what do you see as obstacles of that? You don't even necessarily look at it from Connecticut specifically. Sure. You know, I actually wouldn't phrase it as obstacles. I think that there are opportunities. Our industry has has had various issues that they've had to overcome for probably most of the last hundred years of its existence. Well, that's true. Absolutely. You know, we're, this is we're, just we're, a new we pivot one. easily. Yeah, and we've always overcome them. We've always met the challenge. We've always met our customers' uh, need for us to make sure that that delivery happens. We have never failed. Uh, so I don't think that any of these things that we're looking at in terms of storing it, transporting biodiesel, whether it's outdoors or in a truck that's outdoors overnight, all of these these things that Nora is looking at, I think, are overcomable. Are, are they hurdles? Yeah, but we've always cleared every hurdle. Right. So I don't think this is an exception. How can we accelerate for a transition that is even more comprehensive than what we've already seen? Sure. So obviously there's going to be artificial accelerators like state laws that are pushing clean heat standards. The faster we can get to those, what I'll call B50 plus blends, the easier it will be for the various states that have laws that require us to be at lower carbon output from from the heating sector. So I think that there's those artificial ones. And I think that then there's just the industry leaders who are trying to meet demands. We're hearing increasingly from retailers, especially as our customer base gets younger, they're looking for clean fuel solutions. And so as that occurs, I think that there will be industry retailers that will lead the pack. And then as typical, the rest will try to chase them so that they don't lose market share because someone's ahead of the game. So I think that there's the, the fierce competitive nature of our industry is our greatest asset to be able to surpass any competitors in the field, whether it's electricity or any other utility fuels. So I think that and those sort of artificial state pushes is going to get us to get through the finish line before anybody else on lowering carbon. We lower carbon emissions at the home. We actually deliver on our promise for lower particulates, lower emissions. So the health benefits and the climate benefits of what we bring every day far surpass anyone else in the energy space. Now, you all are doing some specific testing with your association. Tell us a little bit about that. So we have um, four tanks in the back of our building, uh, two single wall, two double wall, and we wanted to see what uh, what would happen with B99 to heat our building. And so through our NORA research and development dollars, we've been able to set these tanks up. And surprisingly, we learned some lessons that I think actually are going to help the industry long term in the work that they're doing to figure out what's next with how the supply chain works from when the fuel comes out of the terminals, maybe put in a bulk plant, in a truck, ultimately to either those outdoor or indoor tanks. So, you know, our our piece of it was very specific to the outdoor tanks, but it's an important part to know that under the harshest conditions, we can continue to perform. So just in closing, what specific things are you really proud of or excited about that Nora is working on to help your members assist in the transition or just things you see on the horizon? The technical work that Nora is doing is invaluable. Without 
the data that actually shows where we stand. I don't think that any of the individual associations that are supposed to promote and protect the industry would ever have the resources to produce the climate data, to produce the information about how we're going to have to store and what we're going to have to do to make sure that this product is operable in, in cold weather conditions. So I think that in the absence of Nora, we would be at an entire disadvantage. But with Nora, we have an advantage over everyone else. So uh, the good work that they do and the smart minds that they've brought together, whether it's Dr. Butcher or Bob O'Brien and being led by Michael Devine and the great legacy that John Huber has left us has put us in a, in a position that our future is extremely bright. Well said. And Chris Herb, thank you for all you're doing in Connecticut as well to help advance the ball and you and your members and your staff to uh, continue to help promote this industry and uh, low-carbon liquid heating fuels for the future and helping to bring about that vision for a, a strong reality for our industry. Well, thank you. And it, we couldn't do it without our members. They're the ones who support us. And uh, that this work is only possible because of that support. Next, we'll hear from Chris Delaire, Executive Director of the Empire State Energy Association. Chris shares her thoughts on how renewable liquid fuels and how the live fire demonstration of the combustion from B5 to B100 helps illustrate how seamless higher blends really are. In the booth with me, I have Chris Delaire, who's the Executive Director of the Empire State Energy Association. Welcome, Chris. Hi, how are you? Good, good. <laughs> great to have you with us. And great show. Congratulations, by the way. You guys got a terrific turnout, great number of booths. And then um, we were just talking about the outside the uh, demo going on with the live fire. Live fire, yes. You can see that the higher and higher blends, the flame is there. You know, whatever trade-offs there are, are negligible. I think it's great that they're doing a live fire demo because I know, you know, technicians themselves always question, you know, is there going to be issues or are there going to be problems? So to have that type of demonstration out there to show them that there's no issues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, you know, with that training and that information, they, they are, you know, they're ready to go. I know our guys in New York are ready to go. We did attain a, a, a blending standard in 2020, which stated by uh, July 1st of 2021, the entire state would be B5. By 2010, we're going to uh, B10, and by 2030, we'll be at B20. But many of our uh, retailers out there, they jumped right in and went right to, you know, 10%. I know some of them are already doing 20%, and I know, you know, downstate, I think they may be at least, you know, 50%, some of those those marketers. So, yeah, it's been fantastic. We are looking right now at the net zero home. Mm -hmm. Uh, We may have identified a a good candidate for that, so we're going to hope to get the Nora crew in to take a look at that. And I'm so anxious to get that off the ground and started in New York because uh, renewable liquid fuels are really the the only viable option um, Mm -hmm. that when you know going into the future, as you look at you know reducing greenhouse gas emissions and carbon reduction. And I know our state; we have a lot of different uh, climate laws happening within our state, and Mm -hmm. and it's how we can be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. We can sit at the table and say, you know, we have a product, we have been doing this, we are doing it, and we will continue to do it. And I don't think that anybody can, any industry can decarbonize quicker or better than the liquid fuels industry. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm proud of our guys. Yeah, it's it's available now. It's now technology. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and of course, even when there are adjustments on the supply side, you're still able to be nimble. Uh, you're still able to make this transition, and uh, certainly with support of suppliers, with the commitment of retailers, and then, mm-hmm. you know, what has been the feedback from the customer? What kind of reports are you hearing from your members on that? You know, I had companies say that, you know, when they first started delivering, they're like, 
at first their customers really had no idea. And like, I'm like, well, you need to talk about it because uh-huh. it's it's a good thing. It's so good they, thing. they did. Yeah. And you know what? Those, I think as an oil heat customer, they're happy too that, you know, mm-hmm. they, they see this industry that we care about the environment right. as much as anybody else. So mm-hmm. we are doing the right thing for the communities that we're in and, and, and the customers. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's... It's been a positive message. It's been a positive message. And like I said, I'm, I'm very proud to represent uh, this industry and, you know, yeah, and, and, and help be a voice to kind of project us into the future, you know, with this. And So you've seen good response from your members on mm-hmm. this. Yes. And what do you see the overall acceleration look like for our industry? Do you see this as continuing to uptick? Because it's obviously a collaboration of really of everybody moving forward together. Yes. I, I think as we continue to move, you're going to see this going uh faster and faster, especially with the research and the development that Nora is doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no reason why we shouldn't. And we've been doing this kind of thing, cleaning our fuels and making them cleaner and greener forever. I mean, this started, it didn't just start a few years ago in the face of, you know, the pushback with the, with the climate things going on. It's uh, in New York, you know, we started in 2012 with ultra low. You know, we push for that. Right. I mean, so we, and then, you know, now the push, you know, for bio-renewable diesel. So, yeah, I think you're going to see this industry just get better and better. Um, And it's going to be through the use of renewable liquid fuels. Well, thank you for all you're doing. I know, obviously, on the uh, legislative regulatory level, the associations play a critical role in that conversation. And just, you know, kind of thumbnail sketch, how do you see that evolving in in New York? What's What's the response been from policymakers? So... You know, the governor, you know, signed our blending mandate in, in 2020, and she stated when she signed that, she put a press release out and stated that, you know, it is a way for us to decarbonize and fit into the, the climate plan in New York State. And so. you get a credit when you do it, which we, is such a key. Yes, yes. So, um, and we have gotten positive, you know, feedback. So, again, it, it's... It takes work to get them to understand that just because it's combustible, all combustibles aren't equal. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean. And, and, and so there's, that, there's an ongoing dialogue of education at every level because just yeah. from the front line with the consumer, even to within your own companies, with your technicians so that they understand and help dispel myths that might exist down in the workforce and then obviously communicating with policy makers. Right. And, and I think it's well. important that we are all speaking in a unified voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's critical as well. Well, excellent. Well, and and aside from research, what else is Nora doing to help you deliver that message? So we have some programs out there. Um, one of is a, a rebate program. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are able to offer, um, you know, the, our oil heat customers in New York. Right now, um, they can get a, a $900 credit for a new uh, boiler or, or furnace. And I believe it's 350 for a, a new tank. Mm. We started that program around 2016, and I, I think since that time we've given close to three million dollars in rebates wow. to customers. You know, great getting new equipment in the field, higher efficiency, mm-hmm. which is also a plus, helps them reduce, you know, their usage. Mm-hmm. So overall, a very very good story with yes. that as well. Yes, fantastic. Well, Chris Delaire, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate uh, you stopping by the booth to talk with us. And thanks so much for all your leadership in New York. I mean, you guys are doing a fantastic job, and your members helping make that transition a reality. So appreciate all you're doing. Thank you so much. Are you a service technician for liquid heating fuels? If so, be sure to check out NORA's online technical resource center at learning.noraweb.org. 
The center has videos, technical documents, bulletins on service practices, low-carbon liquid fuels, and more to help you quickly get your hands on useful information no matter where you are. All the material has been carefully reviewed by Nora for accuracy. Go to learning.noraweb.org today. This is brought to you at no charge from Nora. Ted Harris, Executive Vice President with the Pennsylvania Petroleum Association, offers his take on why his state is unique compared to other states when it comes to biodiesel standards. In the podcast booth with me, I have Ted Harris, the Executive Vice President of the Pennsylvania Petroleum Association. Welcome, Ted. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Good to see you, Brian, as always. We've got a great turnout here at the show. A lot of education. A whole lot of education. Yeah, there's 50-plus educational tracks, uh, business sessions, technical sessions, um, a lot of content to take in over over three days, and you know, very valuable. We got a lot of PA members that came down for this, and that's that's wonderful to see. Yeah, I talked to Kate Duffy this morning. Had a great conversation with her, uh, new vice chair of the uh, NOR Executive Committee. She talked with us a little bit about low carbon liquid heating fuel in your state. Are your members making that transition? What kind of uptake are you seeing on that? Yeah, so in, in Pennsylvania, very large state. Very diverse, you know, membership and very diverse markets. And you got Philadelphia, you got Pittsburgh, and you got a lot of land in between. Uh, we do have a, a B2 mandate for one-road diesel, mm-hmm. which was put in place over 10 years ago. So one of the things that that has done for us in Pennsylvania makes us somewhat unique compared to some other states that are going through the process of creating biodiesel standards is that's really built out our infrastructure so we have nearly all of our terminals are set up to be able to support this Uh, we have two primary supply points that come in one in the western part of the state the other close to our office in harrisburg that bring in b100 via rail um so it's really that the infrastructure is there um in a lot of ways you know our members if they want the product the the product's there now obviously if you start getting into higher blends it's you know the industry always needs to work together and and support that but we have members on the heating fuel side that have been delivering a b20 for over a decade we're seeing more and more that are maybe they're not at a b20 but you know last year they started delivering a b5 right so with my time with the organization which has been over seven years I've personally seen the last three or four just more of a voluntary adoption into the into the space. It's becoming more and more normalized. We have members that are seeing some of our other members, again, that, that member that's been delivering a B20 for over 10 years, they're, they're seeing that happen. They're saying, well, you know, hey, I, I have concerns, I have questions, but if one of my peers can do this, you know, I, th- I think that answers a lot of questions, right, in terms of me uh, wanting to get into the space. So we still have a long way to go. I still think, you know, we have a lot of work to do as an industry, but it's good to see that as it relates to political pressures or, or just government affairs in general. Uh, with Pennsylvania being a purple state, mm-hmm. there's that dynamic, and then there's all, we're also a very, we're a large energy production state, number two in natural gas, number three in coal. So that feeds into our politics, but to say that we're not going to have pressures that we're seeing from a regional perspective as well as a national perspective, uh, that's an incorrect statement. It's it's definitely, we're feeling it in Pennsylvania, maybe differently than some other states, but it's right. it's definitely coming. And I think we have a unique opportunity as a as a state association, as an industry, to continue to get ahead of this and be proactive and, and show policymakers and consumers that we have a uh, we have a plug-in fuel that can that can make a real impact today, not tomorrow. 
Yeah, that's the message I keep hearing throughout this conference is this is a today technology, not a tomorrow. Yeah. And accelerate is a word that I keep hearing as well in terms of some might say, you know, what are the obstacles to transition? Others might say, what are the opportunities? But I think all can agree what needs to happen to accelerate the transition. Yeah. How do you see that happening in Pennsylvania? In terms of accelerate, so, I mean, it, policy, I got a member taking a picture of me here, so, you know, I, he's, he's throwing me off. <laughs> It is a policy fuel, right? So it's right. you know I, I um, you know we as a as a trade association we've made we've made significant strides in the past couple of years of moving from what I would call a neutral position to a pro biodiesel adoption position where mm-hmm. there are certain standards that we've put in place. We've created an MOU and we've we've had numerous conversations and this is on the heating fuel side, mm-hmm. um, but we've essentially created a boundary where we feel comfortable that the industry can operate without significant impact of bringing in these fuels and implementing these renewable blends. Um, so now we're in the process of, of exploring policy that's going to support that, whether that be an incentive-based program, a mandate-based program, credits. Uh, helping credits, uh, a low-carbon, we have a we have a low-carbon fuel standard in our state that's very, very early in the conversation, and we think there's a potential opportunity there if it's structured the right way for this to be beneficial for our industry. So we, we have moved from a, again, a neutral position of kind of a wait and see to we are much more engaged in proactively pursuing policy that's going to incentivize more and more renewable products to come into the marketplace, whether that be biodiesel, renewable diesel, or products of the future. So obviously there's a big emphasis on that both at Nora and here at this expo. What are the things that you most look forward to seeing here at the show? You know, I think it's a great way for our industry to be able to come to one common place and really absorb information uh, in a pretty intense environment over you know over two or three days but really to be able to come down here absorb information be present I think that in general I mean that's what really makes this event unique as well yeah. as other trade shows as well so it's, right. it's it's neat to be able to do that and see that happen I think it's also what Nora does really well both on the education side and the research side but also just helping the industry galvanize behind different technologies sure. behind different things that are shifts in the transition as we prepare for you know, what's our industry going to look like tomorrow? No, well said. Nora is doing a lot of great work that I think a lot of our members don't fully see it, right? Mm-hmm. But again, to be able to come to this event and, and show the research that's being done for, you know, the what if questions down the road, right? To do that research today and show that it's possible, um, that's the type of assurance that I, you know, I think our membership and industry needs as we continue to move forward. Well, I know it's a busy one for you. You're squeezing this podcast in between like 8 billion appointments you've got here at the show. So I appreciate you taking the time, Ted. Thank you, you so it. much. Thanks. For, thank, I appreciate it, Brian. Finally, we talk with Eric DeGesero, Executive Vice President of the New Jersey Fuel Merchants Association. Eric shares how his state and members of his state association are handling the pressures on the industry to transition to a net zero carbon future. In the In the Loop with Nora booth, I have Eric DeGesero, Executive Vice President of the New Jersey Fuel Association. Actually, I'm, correct me on that title. It's Fuel Merchants Association. New, New Jersey, Jersey Fuel Merchants Association. Excellent. Well, it's great to have you with us. Here at the beginning of the show, we're just chatting with folks here, talking about low-carbon liquid heating. And for you as an association leader... 
Obviously, there's a great deal of emphasis at this show being put on low-carbon heating fuels. Are there pressures that you're seeing uh, in your state or even among uh, with your members to transition to low-carbon heating, uh, low-carbon fuel heating in your state? There most certainly is, and it's a pressure not only in New Jersey, but throughout the Middle Atlantic and Northeast in New England. Uh, I I think uh, listeners might be familiar with sort of what California Mm -hmm. is doing, and, you know, the governor of New Jersey has stated that he wants to make New Jersey California of the East, and you've seen that in a number of different initiatives uh, of his and also his colleagues throughout the Northeast. So, yes, there's a tremendous amount of pressure for the industry to transition. And we wholeheartedly endorse a transition to a low carbon and eventually a pa- a, 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 using that as a pathway to a net zero carbon fuel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what we as an industry are looking to do, and, and quite honestly, the three incumbent fossil fuels nationwide, now you'll vary by percentage based on the state you're in, but you have natural gas, heating oil, and propane. All three fuels have a pathway to a net zero future. But no matter what any of those three fuels do, you could have 100% net zero carbon moving through the distribution system, but it still needs to be lighted on fire at the end. Mm. And this discussion in, in our region, while people are hearing, while people are saying certain words, what is really meant by the other side is they want everything to be electric only. It's electrify everything. Right. So our challenge as an industry is to say, yeah, we're on board with moving forward to a net zero fuel. And electrification is one way to achieve that, but it is not the only way. So let's talk a little bit about how are members making this transition to low carbon heating fuels? Um, You know, as I'm sure many of uh, your listeners are aware, that you can have up to a 5% blend in heating fuel, diesel fuel, that automatically equates, you know, from a scientific chemical perspective to being the petroleum distillate that we've always been familiar with. Sure. Uh, Moving moving beyond that to higher blends to 10% and 20% are things that you're starting to see happen regionally. Uh, We're going to need more supply. And I think that the recognition that the transportation sector, um, the the distillate pool in the transportation sector is going to help accelerate the transition in the heating sector. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's obviously there's just, you know, far more gallons in the transportation sector uh, of liquid fuel than there are in the heating sector. As you kind of look in your crystal ball a little bit, and also what Nora already has done to date, how has Nora helped in that transition here in New Jersey, um, and even thinking broader here in New England? I don't think the industry appreciates what Nora is doing, every aspect. I mean, one of the things we're going to be discussing uh, here uh, tomorrow is the cold flow properties. I mean, a mm. very significant, and look, you can have cold flow issues with 100% petroleum diesel. It's been, uh, you know, in the old days, it used to be blended uh, with kerosene, and now mm-hmm. it's additized to make sure that its operability is, is you know, is excellent at, at colder temperatures. Um, the, the idea of a net zero house where you put a solar PV array on and mix it in, 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 in combination with a B100 blend, mm-hmm. uh, but you have to make sure that the tank is inside. Uh, right. or, and so th- there are some, those things, I mean, it's a, you just can't flip a switch. Look, the industry loves Nora, and rightfully so, for the work that Nora is doing. You've been listening to In the Loop with Nora. Stay tuned for our next episode with two industry leaders on their thoughts and experiences with higher blend heating oil.